Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Henning and Henning is a, a professor at INSEAD, the business school for the world, of course, where I went to as well and I had a pleasure to complete an MBA a while back. I don't want to say anymore how far back. And he's been very active giving webinar on venture capital, business angels and startups. And we would like to learn more from him, what he found out in his research that went into this webinar, how he scaled it up as well and his thoughts about entrepreneurship and the interplay with academia. So welcome, Henning. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much, Rudolph, for having me. Great stuff. Henning, so what's your backstory? Why and how did you get to academia? It's a conscious choice. You look, we all stumble into careers. I always enjoyed academia. I really realized this. I created a business when I was still in high school, and I actually led this for like more than 10 years or so. But even when I was the founder CEO, I kept on more thinking about the business than actually enjoying executing it. And if you constantly think about what are general patterns, what drives what, and if you constantly enjoy most kind of doing strategy diagrams and stuff, then it was evident that I felt like, look, I should probably make this my professional life and I should study these kind of things and teach these kind of things. And so that is what it became. All right, wonderful. As I mentioned, you started a small workshop on venture capital business angels and startups that uh, scaled uh, massively not so long ago. So what was your original objective or what is still the original objective of this webinar or workshop? So you see, I started this in June 2020 and COVID really hit in like February, March 2020. And we were all, everybody was sitting at home wondering what to do. And then I thought, look, it might actually be, be like a good time to actually do something more broadly and to share something more broadly. And I had done a lot of teaching on venture capital, business angels and startups. And so I thought, like, why not actually do like a webinar around this? And so I created this three hour webinar and yeah, wanted to get this to work. And then, as you pointed out, it, it actually ended up viral. I initially wanted to do 10 sessions and so my idea was, I had talked with the inside event stuff and they said, you can expect about 500 people. And then I said, okay, 500 people, I do 10 sessions because that's my typical class size. I would have 50 people per session. And so I did the first 10 and I almost had always 200 people in it. And then I got requests why I don't just keep on going. And so I kept on going and now I'm at number 69. I'm doing number 70 and 71 next week. And I had more than 16,000 students at this point. Wow, amazing, which maybe should change to a workshop or a, sem- or a webinar on scaling up. But let's dive into it. What is in terms of content? What is it about? So you see, it's really like a primer on venture capital and business angels and how this market works. Look, we talk about what is actually like a limited partner. What is a general partner? Where does the money come from? What is the business model of venture capitalists? What kind of exit events do you see nowadays? Why are there so many mergers and acquisitions rather than IPOs? 
And then from the founder's perspective, we asked the question, how do you actually succeed in raising venture capital? And then vice versa, how do venture capitalists and business angels actually succeed in generating deals? Because the way we put it in the webinar is, you see, it's not just about being interested, but it's also about being interesting. It's a little bit like dating. It's not enough to be attracted, but you also want to be attractive. And so we very much talk about like how we get these parts together. And so where is your audience? That has been the most fascinating aspect for me. The audience is really all over the place. So I realized this recently. At some point, there's a small kind of group session part in it so that people actually have a chance to, to get to know each other and to work together. And in one of the group workshops, I actually had, I believe, like one doctor from Nigeria one 17-year-old student and a managing director from Goldman Sachs in New York City. And afterwards, they all wrote me an email and said, like, I learned a tremendous amount, okay? And so this is what has been the nicest thing for me, I have to say, the incredible diversity in terms of age, gender, ethnicity, professional background. So there's really not like one profile. It's everybody who's interested in these kind of topics and you realize how relevant these kind of topics are. So that sounds great. Now, how did you scale it up? Of course, in June 2020, I think LinkedIn and the world was in a different place than it is today. Nowadays, a lot of people put online content and things like this. Maybe it has become a bit wary. In the middle of the pandemic, you just uh, started it, right? And now you got to 16,000 students. So how did you, what was your growth hack? So initially, I didn't do anything. People just recommended it. And they said, look, you can... I got tons of emails. Could you offer another workshop? So people had told their friends about it and had started posting it on LinkedIn. And so all these workshops started selling out. And then I get emails and asking me to actually offer additional ones. And so this has been basically the driving force since then that I get more and more signups. People kindly post on LinkedIn or share with their friends. And then I offer more workshops. And it's been going on for a while. Let's see how long I can write that. So it's basically word of mouth in an online world. I, yeah, I will say, Rudolph that doing something for free is quite an attractive price point. So you actually get like an INSEAD top management education quality webinar for free for three hours. Of course, but still, even that has a price tag. Then people have people are very selective where they spend their time on and their attention span is limited. So still congratulations, whether that's uh, free or not, but uh, good point. You see, Rudolf, one of the things which has amazed me the most, I have to say, is... I have some people who have signed up more than five or six times for the workshop. So they said, look, we really liked it. We want to understand it more and more. So there are people who really take this as an opportunity to inform themselves about venture capital and business angels and startups more broadly. And that has been, how should I say, the hunger for learning that has been out there has simply been amazing. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I always thought like, I cannot uh, sign up for something more than once and that I should have already known this. But I think you should open your mind and if you enjoy it and if there is more to learn, especially because this is a workshop. So I know that you are very interactive in this, right? So it's not like the people can sit back and just watch some videos. They have to contribute, correct? Yes. And look, the person who probably learns the most from doing these kind of things is, my, is myself. So I listen very carefully to the question the participants have, to the comments they're making. And so while I've done the workshop 69 times, it's a little bit different every time. And I'm learning something new and I integrate it and there are new statistics which are coming out. So it's an evolving thing. So if you look at what I teach today and compare it to June, 
2020 has actually evolved quite substantially. All right. So it is a living organism in a way. But if you look back at over the 69 editions, and if you could share a glimpse of the learnings that entrepreneurs could use or gain from a workshop, as just as an example, what would you say that there are main do's and don'ts of pitching to investors, for example, whether that's VCs or business angels? I think the most important aspect for an entrepreneur in that sense is to think from the perspective of an investor. What you really want to understand is what is the investor looking for? What are concerns of the investor? Very often, this is whether you have the ability to execute. <clears throat> so whatever kind of proof you can bring that you can show traction, where you say, look, I already have a business operating, makes a tremendous difference with the investor. You also want to get the timing right. So my colleague, Ben Halen, at... Um, in Seattle, points this out very nicely, you really want to raise capital after you have accomplished some major success. You might have filed successfully for a patent, you might have gained like a major client or so, but you always want to, you want to be in a position where you time it well, okay, and where you actually have a package that is appealing to investors. It is very difficult to, to do it before. How does pitching to VCs or business angels differ? Or I think it's surprisingly similar. The main difference is simply in the stage, right? The business angel typically provides you with very early stage money, seed money or pre-seed money. And so a business angel might be more comfortable in you pitching something without having a long track record to say like, look, this is a new idea you want to try out, but you need some money to actually try it out. And so the business angel might support you with some money to actually get going on it. The moment you reach then stages like a Series A or a Series B, where you raise serious money from venture capital, you need to show that you have expertise and that you know what you're doing and that you have traction. But business angels still are not your friends and family. So you should probably show some ambition that you want to grow that uh, idea to something where they also can make some money. I think the difference you're making is actually very important because the business angel has a major advantage over friends and family because you actually get a feeling of the state of your business, right? If somebody, if a friend or a family member gives you money, right? It's not necessarily an endorsement of the, your business. It's more an endorsement of yourself, but you still do not have market-based information whether there's a there, whether you can actually make something good out of this. And the moment you actually go out on the market and try to raise money from business angels, you actually get a feeling for whether you actually have a business. There are additional advantages, right? You see, the moment you raise money from a business angel, the business angel can also help you to set up like a term sheet and a cap table and things like this. So you also get much more knowledge than you typically get from a friend and a family member. It also helps you to avoid one particular risk because if you raise money from a family member or a friend, they might say, hey, I'm fine if you lose the money, but let's face it, they're not really fine if you lose the money. And so you might then actually escalate your commitment and stick with that business, even if you've come to the conclusion that it's not a great idea to go. For and as you mentioned at the very beginning as well, they are endorsing you, maybe your relationship, not necessarily the idea. I liked it when I talked uh, a while back to the founder of Loan Books in Switzerland, and he said, Stefan, that he spoke to 30 investors or 30 lend lenders and the borrowers on the other side. 
And that's how he tested his idea. Then they mocked up a prototype uh, as a software for his platform, but not he wouldn't ask his friends or mom, is this a good idea or not? You need a perspective from somebody who is detached from you and they may look at the idea first. Rudolf, you're absolutely right. Two aspects, right? The person is more detached and the person is probably also more professional about it. And that actually gives you a good assessment of where you are with your venture. Right. Now, if we turn it to the business angels, I also heard examples of people who said, look, I invested in this company, it didn't go out, it didn't go anywhere, it blew up in my face. So now I'm burned. So I'm taking a break from early stage investing. So what would be your advice to avoid that so they don't get burned quickly and become what I would call a proper business angel, meaning a serial business angel? You see, Rudolf, one business angel I have in class has a very nice saying. He says, I never worry about downside. I only worry about upside. And what he means by this is he says, look, I don't mind if the companies I invest go bankrupt because most likely they will. What I'm more worried about, whether the companies I invest in do actually have a chance to go for IPO at a major stock exchange. So you see, the way you framed it, that somebody makes one or two investments, let's face it, one or two investments are most likely to go broke. What you really need to do is to build up a little bit of a portfolio of, let's say, like a 10 or 20 ventures. Because the whole idea about being in venture financing is that you have one big hit. But to actually have one big hit, you need to buy many tickets. So the fact that a venture goes broke, that's not a bug. That's a feature of venture investment. You invest in highly risky assets. And these assets will have a tremendous return when things go well, but they will also often go bankrupt. So you're facing a very skewed distribution. So if you become a business angel, just expect that a lot of the ventures you invest in will not make Then you can look at different sectors, different countries, etc. But generally, I think the number of failures is probably around 90%. So I would say unless you invest at least in 10 startups, you really haven't done uh, that much. So you would have to be tremendously lucky that in your first 10 shots, you you hit something that would become a, a unicorn at some point, right? You're absolutely right, Rudolf. You see, it's an interesting phenomenon, not just in the context of venture finance, but much more broadly. Very often people make, let's imagine you do the following, you make one investment and it becomes a success and then you do four others and they become a failure. You might still keep on going because you're encouraged by the first successful investment. But now let's just turn this around. You make four investments and they all fail and the fifth one would become a success. But probably you're never going to make that fifth investment because you're so discouraged by the first one, first four ones, which went bankrupt. But keep in mind that from a statistical standpoint, in both cases, one out of five ventures has succeeded, right? It really just comes down to the specific order which is at play here. So you simply want to be worried about having a too small sample. You cannot really judge your access to ventures or your success as a business angel if you have a very small sample. 
Then whether that's 10 or 30, if you uh, brush on your statistics, uh, that's a different bo- uh, d- discussion, but it definitely it's not a handful. I bought a lottery ticket today and I didn't win. Oh my God, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> like I would expect that. Right. Uh, not to say that the startups are uh, a lottery businesses, Frank, I wouldn't agree with that. Some people say that you don't know what's going to happen. I think I had Kiara from INSEAD on, in, on this podcast a while back and she's done some research on scientific decision-making in startups. So how can you improve your chances of survival if you are deciding a bit better at certain critical milestones? There is potentially a way how to improve your odds. And uh, in any case, the startup is a learning vehicle. So at a milestone, you should decide you go this way or that way. So as you mentioned earlier, Henning, when you say you shouldn't be too attached to an idea. Look, I'm glad you bring up Kiara's work. I just, by the way, spoke with Kiara 25 minutes ago. So right before our recording, I spoke with her for an hour. Kiara is doing fantastic work in how you basically reduce the risk that entrepreneurs face. So how you become very systematic about assessing that risk and eliminating this risk. So you constantly basically run tests. And as a business angel, you do, of course, play an important role. And you can look at what kind of tests have entrepreneurs already run and which kind of tests could they run to further eliminate the risk. We can talk a lot about like total addressable market and how we could execute. But a very simple way to get these kind of things under control is simply to run lean entrepreneurship-like tests where you see, okay, is there actually a market for this kind of product so that you learn more about it? Great. So this is a nice segue to my next question. I wanted to ask you, what's the recommended reading that touches on these subjects that you could uh, mention? And I think maybe this is the one, right? So if you want to reduce, if you want to reduce your risk, Chiara Spina, maybe you can link this in the show notes, actually has a nice paper on INSEAD knowledge. Other work, for example, Eric Ries wrote a book on lean entrepreneurship. There's a book I personally like quite a bit by John Mullins and Randy Commissar on how to get to plan B. So these are all kind of questions in how you can reduce the risks that are associated with new business ventures. Exactly. So that's wonderful. Now, what is in store for you for the rest of the year? Now you're based in Fontainebleau, right? What's ahead of you in academia? Rudolf, let's see how many of these webinars I still run. I'm at this point basically committed to run these as long as there's demand. So I will continue doing this and I put a lot of effort into it. So I enjoy doing that. Otherwise, I continue to do a lot of research on questions of collaboration and competition. It is something I've been really fascinated about. How do people who compete also collaborate? When does competition crowd out collaboration? How do you deal with collaborations at great scale? So, for example, I recently published a paper in on Formula One racing. When do Formula One car drivers collide with one another? So these are the kind of questions I actually look at to better understand things like internal conflict, internal competition, and so on. Wonderful. I'm definitely going to follow up on that as well because you reminded me I'm coaching inside FinTech course and we ask uh, participants to... Uh, think about how is it going to be in certain industry verticals of fintech when you look at the incumbents and the startups or fintechs are they going to collaborate or compete what is the best way to reach out and find out more about your webinars is that to follow you on linkedin or is there another way as well or how does that work 
LinkedIn is very easy. I also have now a newsletter on my website you can simply sign up for. You can also look for the workshop. So for people who are interested, just go to my website. Um, I'm very easy to find, Henning Pizunkar. So you can find it relatively easily. And I would love to have you in the workshop. Wonderful. So good luck to Henning. And instead, of course, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you so much, Rudolf. This was great fun. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.